question, actually. It, it's, it's Parts of it are really similar to one-on-one and parts of it are totally different. And like one of the things that's happening in the group right now is that there are a couple of people who are working on different aspects of their relationships with their mothers. So there's one who has very limited contact with her mother and that's the way she prefers it. There's another who lives very close to her mother and has a lot of contact with her mother and has to navigate that. And then there's... Welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Gather Podcast. I'm your host Zeke and this episode I have Christian King to speak about many topics such as being a life coach. You can find more information about her by clicking the link in the description below. I like to give a content warning for any strong language used in this episode and hope you nice day. And enjoy the show. I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for wanting to be a guest. So I'll give you the floor to introduce yourself to the audience and then we can get started. Okay, great. Well, hi, my name is Kristen King. I am a life and business coach from Leadville, Colorado, which is America's highest city. My house is at over 10,200 feet and it's not currently snowing, but there is quite a bit of snow on the ground here as we are recording this episode. I have been a coach for um, a little over 15 years, give or take, but I've only been doing it full-time for a little over a year. I left my full-time corporate job last October to become a full-time life and business coach, and now I work with people all over the U.S. and throughout the world, helping them get through perfectionism and people-pleasing and overwhelm and burnout and frustration. We work on business stuff and relationship stuff and parenting stuff and just life stuff, like everything across the board, and it's really fun. Um, On a personal note, I have twins who are going to be 11 in, I'm checking the date, like two weeks. (laughs) just under two weeks, which is slightly shocking because I feel like I'm not old enough to have two 11-year-olds, but here we are. (laughs) And uh, I'm originally from New Jersey, so I'm a little bit of a fast talker. And I try to be aware of it when I'm doing interviews. But if you need me to slow down, feel free to be like, "Er, stop. (laughs) Don't be shy. (laughs) As a New Yorker, I believe I could keep up, so... Okay, perfect. I knew I liked you. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) So nice, nice. And before that, let's start. Let's walk it, walk away through. So you say you left your job. What kind of gives you the courage to leave your job? It was a combination of factors, Zeke. Part of it was that I, I've always been kind of an entrepreneur in my heart. I always had little businesses when I was a kid and I worked all through college doing my own thing. And then I started my first business right out of college. Um, I worked for about 18 months while I was building it up. And then I quit my job and went full-time in my own business. I did that for about three years. And when I took another full-time job, it was actually one of my clients who hired me. I had been a, uh, I had a freelance communications firm. So I did websites and technical writing and articles and anything that has words, like I could do it. And my specialty was like digital and content strategy. So a lot of like social media information products, that sort of thing. 
So this was one of my clients that hired me on as a full-time job. And it was great because it was exactly what I was looking for. Um, but I always knew that at some point I would go back to working for myself. And in the last couple of years, I realized that even though I was really good at my job and I worked for an awesome company, I was in a public health consulting firm and I was the digital and content strategist for that organization. I mean, it was, it was a great gig, but I wanted to do more things and to do stuff beyond that. And I also realized that kind of stopping myself from doing more things and from going back to my passion of having my own business was starting to really negatively affect my mental health. And so I decided that last fall, like now is the time, it's time to go. This has been amazing. And now it's time for the next amazing thing. And so it was really the the combination of, of the passion and the desire. And also it was just so much work to not follow the passion and the desire that it was starting to just make everything feel hard. And so I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to go back out and do my own thing. Yeah, I know like a lot of people, they will feel the, the job security is very important because you know you have a city paycheck and that you know that this everything for most for a lot of jobs, everything is pretty much already covered. Mm-hmm. Health care and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was a little scary. I mean, I still have days where I had a day earlier this week, I texted my husband and I was like, pretty sure we're all going to die in the next 48 hours. Not sure how, but <laughs> it'll definitely be my fault. Right. Like we, you know, we, we still have these moments, it comes in and out, but one of the things that made it a little easier for me in terms of making the transition, cause I, I had worked for this company for like 12 years. Um, and so it was, you know, it was a very, it was a steady job. I, I probably could have retired there if I had wanted to. Um, but I had started building up my business on the side for the, you know, 18 months, two years leading up to that. So I had proven to myself that I could do it. And I had a client roster before I left and, and I had, you know, plans and I, I knew, I knew what I wanted and I had given myself a running start with it. And so even though it was still really scary to give up the security of, you know, getting a predictable amount of money every two weeks, um, that made it a lot easier. And I've actually gone on in my first full year of being self-employed to more than double my corporate salary. And so it has worked out just fine. And I feel really, really fortunate that that's the case. Nice. Definitely. Great. So as like a strategist and like a coach, how do you know, like, for me, I always wonder about that job because I'm always afraid that I my strategy is going to work. What can mm-hmm. you do to work through that? There's a couple things. And that's such a good question. Because on the one hand, I firmly believe that everything works if you do it. However, one of the challenges that we'll run into is we'll do too many things at one time. And so we kind of divide our attention. So we're not like fully doing any of the things. We're just kind of dabbling with them. And so that will limit their effectiveness. And sometimes we'll get kind of up in our heads about stuff. So even though we're focusing on just the one thing, we're kind of doing it from the belief that it's not going to work. And so we're kind of sneakily undercutting ourselves when we're doing it. So those are kind of like the first two pieces of it. But the third piece is that even though everything works, not everything is a right fit for the 
person who's doing it or for the situation and what you're trying to accomplish. And so what I really work through with my clients is what's like, what's the way that feels the most fun and authentically you to do this? What do you, what do you actually want and why is that important to you? And when we can get those two pieces, like what's, what's really the thing that you want and why, and like, what would be a fun way to do that? Then we can create a strategy that's not overwhelming, that feels really authentic to them and it's matched to who they are and what they want. And then we just work on getting better at it, right? Then we get all of the the crap out of the way that's going to make it not work. And we just start focusing on working on our mastery of it so we can really dig in and really go deep with it. And when we've done that, if they find that like it's not fun, they're, they're dreading it, it's doing something, but it's not the thing I wanted then we have data that we can use to kind of tweak because we've gotten really clear on why we're doing this in the first place. And then we can find the stuff that's going to best support it. So that's, that's usually how I pick it apart. And then we'll look at, you know, people's personal preferences and what kind of resources they have, you know, someone who's maybe starting very early in a business or in a project might be the only person there versus someone who's a little bit farther down the road in their development or their experience with this might have a team. So we kind of we kind of tweak it to where they're at and what's available and really come up with something that's customized for them. So it doesn't doesn't necessarily look like how other people do it, but it's the perfect fit for what they want to do. Yeah. So it's pretty much it's tailored to that person and mm-hmm. Which makes it easier for them to keep wanting to do it. Exactly. Exactly. And has like these strategies changed over the years with the um changing of technology and how people use social media and stuff like that? Yes and no. I, I some things have changed over the years, but it's mostly like details. It's not really the fundamental stuff that's at the core of it. Because at the end of the day, people like connecting with other people. People like feeling like what they do and who they are matters. They like feeling like they have a sense of purpose. And whatever we're doing, those things are always there. Whether we're doing it in a room physically with people, whether we're doing it on Zoom like you and I are right now, you know, the only difference there is to walk into a physical room, we turn a physical doorknob, but to come into a virtual room, we, we click a link. But at the end of the day, we're still just human beings coming together and we have hopes and dreams and fears and things we think are funny and things we think are not funny. And, and all of that stuff doesn't really change over time. You know, like the slang might change, the details of the technology might change. There might be ways that it, it gets easier or faster to do things that we've done in the past. And that that's a little bit of a shift. But at the end of the day, the strategy is still you know, I, I'm, I'm here to do whatever it is for me, you know, it's talking to people, it's connecting with their desires, connecting with their hearts, really seeing them. And, you know, in my previous careers, I did that through a blog and through Craigslist and through speaking engagements. And now I do it through a blog and Facebook and podcast interviews, but it's basically all the same thing. It's just people connecting with each other and with, with what they really want. Got it. It's pretty much the goal is pretty much the same. The methods usually are similar, if not the same. Podcast, radio shows, all the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like, you know, how much has cooking changed over the last 300 years or how much has 
doing laundry changed over the last 300 years. I mean, I'm not, you know, when it's time to like wash my clothes, I'm not out in like by the well with like a washboard, but I'm still using water and soap and mixing those things together. And then stuff gets dry. You know, it's, it's like the details change, but at the end of the day, it's still basically the same thing. Yeah. And working with, with the client, how do you kind of pick the per, like a client you want to work with? What's the details? Yeah. Well, so I, I work mostly with women. I don't work exclusively with women, but I work mostly with women. And most of the women I work with are very smart. They're very ambitious. They're very funny. They have big dreams and goals. Um, they're typically very successful in their career or they've put their career on pause because they wanted to focus on a project, whether it's, you know, they're writing a book or they're traveling around the world or they're, you know, raising their kids or, you know, whatever that thing is. Um, and so they may be from all different walks of life, but they have those things in common. And the other thing that they have in common is that they have this little voice that they hear when they're trying to fall asleep at night that whispers to them that there's something more than this. They're the kind of people who kind of, who do a little bit of everything. And at the end of the day, there's just not that much left for them. And so even though they're super capable and they're brilliant and they have all these amazing ideas and these passions, they hold themselves back because they're giving so much of their energy and their attention and their resources to other people and other people's priorities and what they really want is to be able to carve out more space for themselves in their own lives. And so when I'm marketing my business, I'm really, I, I do exclusively organic marketing. I just put out content through my website and my social media, speaking to the issues that people having that life experience are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I give them resources. I give them ideas, different ways to think about things. And because I know that I'm really talking to those people, they find me and they, they find me either by following my content because we've, we've met somewhere or a friend shared it with them or said, Hey, you need to talk to this chick. She's cool, whatever it is. Um, and then, you know, we connect whether they send me a private message or they fill out the form on my website and get a spot on my calendar and we sit down and chat. But we really just come together and look at like, hey, it's, you know, what, what do you want? And am I the right person to help you? But they usually know before they come and sit down and have that conversation because I, I put out so much content that they have a good handle on like, what's my strategy and what's my style and like, how do I help people? And so they already know that they want it. And so it's a really fun process for us to just co-create what's this relationship going to look like? Are we going to work together? And, you know, is it going to be one-on-one? -on -one? Are you going to be in one of my groups? And and how are we going to really blow this up for you and make it what you want it to be? That's that makes sense. So it's pretty much not like it's pretty much they've done the research with you of you already. So then by the time we guys have a conversation, it's pretty much okay. What's the what's the, what's the details of what's next? Yeah, it's it's you know sometimes I you know I won't know exactly what they need yet. And so we'll kind of dig in and say like, oh, look, well, what's, oh, you want to work on perfectionism? Oh, great. Okay, great. Because perfectionism, people pleasing, burnout, all of that stuff, hustle, people getting into that like hustle cycle, and they're just running themselves into the ground, all that stuff is right in my wheelhouse. So, you know, anything in that space, we, we pretty much already know that like this is this is a good fit and do we think it's going to be fun or not is like the thing we have to figure out but sometimes 
they'll have other stuff. Like sometimes they'll be working on financial goals. Sometimes they want to grow a business. Sometimes they're dealing with divorce or grief or something like that. And so we dig a little deeper to see what else is there. Because for a lot of that stuff, that's still right in my wheelhouse. But for other elements of it, sometimes, you know, I might have a colleague who's a better fit. Sometimes I'll refer them to a specific type of therapist who I think can do some groundwork with them and then have them come back to me later. So, you know, most of the time we kind of already know, and we're just sort of working out like the logistics and stuff like that. But sometimes, you know, we're just not sure yet. And so we, we spend some time together just looking at that and, and having a frank conversation about like what I think I could do and what I think would benefit them. And are those the same thing? Got it. Well, that was a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into some details. So working like working through like professionalism and perfect like profession professionalism and like burnout. Most of like tips that usually come up dealing with these things. Yeah. So one of the main reasons that people get burned out is that they really hold themselves to what I would consider to be largely an impossible standard. Or if it's not impossible, it's an unnecessary standard. And so like, for example, I had one client who was just, she was exhausted all the time. She had three little kids. She was working as a teacher and every night she would come home and she would, after work, after she got the kids down, making dinner, everything, she would clean the whole house. She would mop the whole house every single night. And she would fall into bed exhausted and she'd sleep through her workout in the morning. And, and it would just sort of, all of her days were this sort of like endless string of like chores. And I said to her, like, girl, <laughs> having the entire house mopped every single day is an unnecessarily high standard. Obviously, if something is like filled, like clean it up, but like you can just mop on Saturday mornings and everything is fine right? Like you don't actually have to go in and remake all the kids' beds every day after they've made them. They're like, you know, four and seven. If their bed's a little crooked, no one's going to die here. Like just because there's a potluck at work doesn't mean you have to bring an entire freaking turkey. Like you can buy a box of cookies at the grocery store on your way into school and you can just put it on a plate and call it done. So, so many of these places where we're really exhausted are places where we're going above and beyond in a way that we're, we feel like obligated to, but it's not actually adding value to our lives. And it's not even something that we enjoy. And so my probably top tip for perfectionism is sometimes like a hard one to swallow, but it really works is to lower your standards, right? Like if no one's going to die if it's not illegal, if it's unlikely to set anything on fire, a good enough job is probably okay. Because if like everything is your best all the time, it's not your best anymore. That's just like your normal. So let's save your best for the stuff that actually matters to you. And like for the other stuff, like maybe phone it in a little bit. I'm not saying like you do an unintentionally bad job, but I'm saying that if it's good enough, like just let it be good enough. So that's like where we start with a lot of people is kind of picking through all of the all the areas where they're like using up a lot of energy and it's not giving them anything back and they don't enjoy it and it's not actually important to them. They just feel obligated to it. It's like you've done something one great one time and then you have to keep up, keep it up every single day and you're just like, this isn't healthy. This isn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
like, and, and like, even just looking at like house cleaning, like my house cleaner just left and it took so many years, Zeke, for me to finally hire a house cleaner because I'm like, no, I have to be the perfect wife. I have to be the perfect mother. I have to clean my whole house top to bottom myself. And like, oh my God, I hate cleaning my house, Zeke. I hate it. (laughs) Not that good at it. It takes forever. And it takes up time that I could be using to like hang out with my kids or go help more clients. And so part of my letting go of perfectionism was saying, hey, I'm just going to like hire someone else who actually enjoys this and like make their life better by paying them to do something that they actually like. And I'm going to save my energy for the things that really matter to me. Yeah. So you just, as you get, you diverse, you not diverse. I forget the word. So should they diversify? Not diversify. You pretty much give the task away to the different Delegate. thing. Delegate. Delegate. Yes. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because like some stuff can be done by another person who you can just give it to or that you can hire to do it. Some stuff can be done by you, but like way simpler than the way you've been doing it. Like you do not need to iron jeans. You can just shake them out and put them away right? So if you're ironing jeans, laundry just got a lot simpler, <laughs> you know? So like you can give it to someone else, you can make it easier. And a lot of stuff you can just stop doing. You can just stop doing. Like my client just stopped mopping the floor every night. Nobody noticed. She was the only person who thought that was a big deal and she didn't even like it. And she just stopped and it was fine. So it's like, we delegate it. We really like knock down the difficulty level or we just like toss it in the trash and stop doing it. <laughs> that really simplifies things. Yeah. The thing about how like school, we, once you get an A and then you expect it to get an A every single time, that got add, add to the pressure. Yeah, like... exactly. When I was in grad school, um, I, so I have an MBA, I have a master's degree in publishing and I also have an MBA. And when I did my MBA, I was very nervous about the finance classes because I have zero desire to be a finance person. <laughs> and my my perspective on that as like a recovering A student was all I have to do is pass the class. I don't have to know how to do this. I just have to know how to hire someone who knows how to do this. <laughs> And so I, I had to keep like a B minus average because that was like the requirement of my scholarship. And so I did it by like one point. And my professor reached out to me and say, hey, do you want like a study group or whatever? And I was like, I really appreciate it. And I got to be honest with you. I just need a B minus in this class. I think you're a fantastic professor and have zero desire to be more competent at this than I already am. And she was like, I wish more people... <laughs> We're like that because so many people stress themselves out about getting an A, but like whether you got all A's in your med school classes or all C's in your med school classes, like you're still a doctor. So like if they can do it, then I can probably like, you know, get a B in my statistics class and like microwave chicken nuggets a couple nights a week and we're all going to be just fine. Yeah. I had the same idea. So like, I don't need to know. I don't, I just need to get. I need to, I just need to pass the class. I don't need to know what's going on. If I need yeah. somebody, I just need to know enough to know when things are going well. And like I hire exactly. Somebody. That's exactly it. I just need to know like the right questions to ask. What am I like legally required to do? And like, and that's really it. 
And then I can put my energy and attention into the stuff that I'm actually really good at and want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to the thing when you said like sometimes people aren't giving themselves time for like themselves. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder like how that comes up and like how does that mindset begin? Oh my gosh. I have so many thoughts about this one. Um, I think a lot of it, and I'll, I'll speak from my personal experience as a 40 year old white woman in America. Um, and most of my, what I see in most of my clients who are not exclusively, but like more than 50% are also like white American women who are between like 30 and 50. Um, you know, I've got some, some people who don't fit those demographics, but that's, you know, like most of them. Um, we are trained from such a young age in American culture that girls are supposed to be good girls. We're supposed to be quiet and compliant and codependent and convenient. And we're supposed to make sure that like everyone around us is okay. Right. And like, you know, um, little boys can be loud and rambunctious and and rough and do all of these things and boys will be boys, but for girls to do the same thing, whether it's overt or it's subtle and more like implied, you know, we're really discouraged from doing that. And we're really trained from a very young age culturally to not take up very much space. And so as we grow up and we start stepping into our careers, our long-term relationships, our families, that training that we've been receiving for so long has us feeling very uncomfortable when we stake a claim on time that's ours that isn't for the benefit of other people. And I'll even catch myself doing it. I'll say things like I, you know, like I run so I don't kill my family, right? It's like I don't run because it makes me happier. I don't run because it makes me and well just to be clear in the interest of full transparency, I don't run at all right now. But right now all I'm doing is yoga. But in the past when I ran, I would say this. Um, you know, it's like, it's like, I have to do it for their benefit. I run to set an example for my children. I run so I can be a better mother. No, I just run because I freaking like running and I need to move my body and it feels good for me, but we're not allowed to say that because that's selfish. Right. So, so we're really, we're really trained in so many ways, subtle and less subtle, not to take time for ourselves. And that if we do, it's a shameful, guilty thing. Like we're being, you know, we're not being serious. We're being ridiculous. We're being, you know, these like dumb, silly women or something. And, and it's, it's a lot of pressure. And so a lot of my clients are just really tired of living like that. They want to stake a claim on their own life and to have stuff for them that isn't about other people. And they don't know how, because no one's ever taught them. And so that's, you know, a huge part of what I do is help people learn new patterns that are more compatible with their well-being and what they actually want for themselves than the patterns that they've lived in previously. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I tell my mom all the time, to like, I'm okay. She doesn't have to like take care of me all the time. I'm like, okay, I'm an adult. I got this. You don't have yeah. to step in. I will figure it out. Yeah, totally. My mom visited recently and we had a, a conversation where I was like, mom, like I'm, I'm a 40. You don't get a vote on like what's safe for me. Like, I'm definitely going to get more tattoos. I understand you don't like them, but you don't need to protect me from this thing that I want. I'm good. It's okay. We're, we're grownups now. It's good. 
Cause we do like we, and like that too, like that, that like long-term family dynamic, right? Like I will always be my kid's mom. I will always be my kid's mom, but I hope to not actively mother them for their entire lives the way that I'm currently actively mothering them when they're still like minor children who don't understand how the world works yet. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So. Oh. oh, yeah. See, the countdown is on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, um, going back to the thing with the mop house, a lot of times you could be in your own world and you feel that everybody's watching you, but like everybody's too busy with their own individual life to even notice what's going on. Yes. I That happens so much. And I'll tell you, like for so many years, I wanted to pierce my nose. I just, I desperately wanted a pierced nose. And I was like, I can't pierce my nose. It will ruin my career. Everyone will think that I'm unprofessional in this thing and that thing, like all, all this nonsense. And so for so many years, probably 10 or 15 years, like most of my adult life, I wanted a pierced nose and I wouldn't let myself do it. And about, mm, it was right around the time that I left my job last year, I finally pierced my nose. Nobody said a thing, Zeke. Nobody said a thing. One person was like, oh, did you change your nose ring? That looks so pretty. And I'm like, no, I just got it like three days ago. And they were like, oh, I thought you always had your nose pierced. It's like all of these things. It's like, I can't because people will think this thing about me. Nobody's going to notice. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They're thinking about themselves. They're worrying about their own stuff and what other people think of them. They do not notice a single thing that you do. They just don't. But we'll use that to keep ourselves small too. And we'll kind of outsource it to other people. Yeah. So much. <laughs> and the thing about um people not able to take time for themselves, I think like the thing called, they call like LLC Twitter, like always have to hustle, always have to keep moving. Kind of you feel bad for just being like, let me just take a day relax. I'm not going to work on anything that's going to make money. Yeah. That's like the other thing that is so big in like US culture that is it certainly in other places too, but not as as intensely in my observation is like we have to be productive all the time. Like if you have a hobby, you have to make money from it. Like you're if the most successful people get up at 5 a.m. Like if you're not willing to like put in the extra hours and pay your dues, you're not serious, bro. And like all of this, like hustle and grind and, you know, whatever, like if that's not healthy, is not healthy. Like human beings need a lot of rest. We were not designed to be robots who are constantly producing, but that's another part of that training from a very early age. We're being like culturally trained to be like good workers and good workers don't have feelings. They don't have to go to the bathroom. They don't need sleep. They never get hungry. And they do things exactly the same way all the time. And that's just not, that's just not compatible with how human beings live. And so when we stop working a nine to five job, like I did, when we don't have that salary, when we're not putting in those extra hours, it feels like there's something wrong. Like it feels like we've done something bad and shameful. And other people will look at us and say, but what about health insurance? And like all of these big dramatic things but it's like what about human thriving like we need that time to sit and do nothing for a day and not feel bad about it but our our 
culture, again, speaking from my own experience, doesn't really encourage that. And in fact, it actively discourages it. And so there's a lot of programming to undo around that to create space for yourself to just do nothing or just do something just for the hell of it because it's fun. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take a day and just like, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. People are like, well, what are you going to do? Nothing. Well, what do you mean? Nothing. What what kind of, are you sick? No, I just don't want to do anything. (laughs) Very weird. It's very weird for people who have not tried this yet. (laughs) Nice. So in terms of like helping people and like coaching people, where did that come from? That idea of you can just help somebody. I've always been really into personal development. Like I always loved like the self-help section at the bookstore. And I love learning about new ways of thinking about things. And like, I've always loved going to seminars and reading books and listening to podcasts and stuff like that. Um, And just from a very young age, all of that stuff that I took in, I never wanted it to stop with me. I always wanted to give it to other people as well. And so, you know, like even when I was a kid, I would be like a peer coach or like a peer volunteer. Um, you know, I, I, I do those kinds of activities as an adult. I've always done like a lot of volunteer work just because it feels good to, to put that stuff out into the world. And it wasn't until probably like, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe that I realized that like life coach is a job. Like I knew about people like Tony Robbins and like Oprah and I knew Oprah had a life coach, but like, I didn't know that was like a thing that like normal people could do. And once I found that out, it sort of like made all the other stuff that I've done in my career make sense. And I realized like, actually I have a lot of, I have a lot of knowledge and information and skills and I'm really good at like teaching people how to do things. And I have a desire to help people improve their lives. Like this this is the career for me as it turns out. So I was always doing it. And even in my first business, I I was very successful very early and other people were like, can you teach me how to do this the way you did it? Cause I want to. And I was like, hell yeah, like there's enough for everybody. Let's do it. So it's just always been my like natural inclination to do it. But I didn't know that it was like really a career until a couple of years ago. And then once I found out, I was like, that's it. That's, that's the thing. And it is just, it is so much freaking fun. I just love it. It is such a blast. But yeah, I definitely see like all the things that are affecting people or how, because for me, I'm more of a person who wants to do something. They're going to get it done eventually. Then I just have mm-hmm. that determination, that self-determination. Like, hey, I want this done by any means necessary. But then also a lot of people have other people in their life who they take care of. And then they forget what's that line of taking care of and then helping. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. And like a lot of people, so you, you have this like natural drive. I don't know if you were just like born with it or like maybe your mom taught you, I don't know. But like a lot of people don't know that they're just like allowed to go for it and to just do stuff until no matter what anybody else says, they just, they don't know that that's the thing that can happen. They think it's only for like other people and to be able to show people like, actually, no, you're allowed to have that too. If you want it, not, not everybody wants to have ambition and drive. Some people would rather like chill and that's fine too. And they feel like they're not allowed to do that. Right. But the point is like, you're allowed to do the thing that you want to do because you want to do it. And so for folks like you, you got that message 
early enough, but some people, you know, they're in their sixties and no one has told them yet. And so if the only thing I do is just tell people you're allowed to do what you want and be happy, like my work here is done. <laughs> oh, uh, I think that's all the things I can think of. So okay. how can people uh, come in contact with you and work with you? Um, so there's a couple ways to find me and there's a couple ways to work with me. The place that I'm most active on the internet is on Facebook on my personal profile. I'm Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, Scove, S-K-O-V-E, King on Facebook and on Instagram. I also have a website that's kristenking.com. Again, that's Kristen with an E. Um, and so when you go check me out on social media or when you go check out my website, you'll find that there's a million other ways to stay in contact with me. I have a blog. I have an email list. Um, I do like free workshops all the time. And then I also have two um, paid coaching options. People can work with me one-on-one -on -one for six months in my private VIP program. And then I also have a group program that the doors are opening in um, just a couple days from when we're recording this. Actually, they open next week for the next round that'll start in February. Um, can I can I say the F word on your podcast, Zeke, or should I use a different word? Oh, yeah, you can. Okay, so the name the <laughs> name of the group program is a hundred days to fewer fuck, and we spend a hundred days together. It works out to be fifteen weeks, going through systematically all the places in your life. You're giving away your energy and attention. You're giving all your fucks away to like bullshit you don't care about. And we get all your fucks back so you can use them for the stuff that you actually want. So that group option is available. And then one-on-one -on -one is also available. And all the details for both of those are on my website and on my social media. Oh, yeah. I have one. I have a couple more questions I just thought of. Sure. Great. Let's do it. So how did you come up with like the business style, like the... um? The different groups and like personal um sessions like how did you come up with the formula and the format so i started out just working with people one-on-one -on -one because that was the coaching that i had experience had the most experience with to that point i had done like one-on-one -on -one, like therapy i had done one-on-one -on -one coaching and then like big like seminars and stuff but i hadn't done stuff in between so I started out with the one-on-one -on -one, and then as I started to develop more of my own content and my own concepts and start to realize that at, at a certain point, I was sort of like repeating myself and that people would benefit from doing that together. That was when I opened up the group as well. And I actually, um, my, my current round of the group finishes um, in just two weeks. The last day is like right the day before my kid's birthday. So it was right before Christmas. Um, and that group is mostly people who also work with me one-on-one -on -one, who also wanted like the group experience. Cause there's just something magical that happens when you're doing like important, exciting, sometimes scary shit in community. And so I, I started to take advantage of that more myself. I guess teach and guest coach and a lot of other coaches, large and small group programs. And I really wanted to bring that in once I had enough of that, like time in the saddle to see the patterns that like everybody needs. So for me, it was just a very like natural evolution. Um, but in my previous career, uh, a huge part of what I did in digital strategy was I was a, a professional webinar producer for six years. So I have a ton of experience with public, public speaking and and facilitating groups anywhere from like a couple dozen to like a couple thousand people. So it wasn't like 
oh, I'm I'm like, I'm scared of groups. I'm not ready. It was like, I want to really like spend the time to get this content super solid and really know what's going to work and like test it out and test it out and test it out. And then just like go hard when the time comes. So that's, that's kind of how we came around to that. Got it. And how do people like, like um, do the group process? How do they like um transform? Like, is it like similar to like one-on-one or do they all start sharing similar um experiences? Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually. It, it's, as parts of it are really similar to one-on-one and parts of it are totally different. And like one of the things that's happening in the group right now is that there are a couple of people who are working on different aspects of their relationships with their mothers. So there's one who has very limited contact with her mother and that's the way she prefers it. There's another who lives very close to her mother and has a lot of contact with her mother and has to navigate that. And then there's one whose mother just passed away in the last couple of weeks. And so they're all like navigating different aspects of this. Like, how am I like an adult child of this parent who like doesn't need to to parent me the way they have before, but it's totally different. So what's really cool about it is the way that they support each other and the way that even though their current life experiences are different, they still connect to the experiences someone else has in the same area. So, and then, you know, like I have like my own stuff with my mom that she and I are navigating, creating this new relationship as adults together. So the transformations happen, but they happen in, um, there's like almost like explosions of transformation that happen when like four or five people are working on different aspects of the same thing at the same time. And they really support each other. And that's like the big difference is like all the things that happen individually are still happening, but then there's this like magic alchemy of the group that takes it to the next level when they're doing it together. And it's, it's awesome, both one-on-one and in the group, but that aspect of the group is something that just, I just don't see it in the one-on-one because it's just, it's just a very different experience. Got it. So they all sudden they all become part of the process and they all have different answers for each other that they may just may come up because of life. Exactly. Exactly. And like like there's some people in the group who are parents and there's some people in the group who aren't parents but have parents. And so, you know, some of some of those shares are the kinds of things that just just wouldn't happen if we were working one on one because it brings in so much richness and so much dimensionality. It, it's it's really it's just a very different experience and they're both awesome and that's why I love that so many of my people choose to do both because it's just it's just next level and it's so much fun. Nice. Okay, that's the last of the main topic questions. I hope okay. yes. And then I guess we go to like the fun questions. So we have like I know when you on uh, message me you say yeah, like if you was to write a book, you would write about um can't find the quote right now, but yeah, you would like. I, I think I, I called it, it would be called like crippling depression, but hot <laughs> as fuck or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of my, um, one of my favorite things to talk about, one of my favorite things to work with people on is around mental health and like big feelings, right? Cause we're a, a part of our cultural training is that like, we're only supposed to have happy thoughts, like good vibes only queen play. Like it's not how life works. <laughs> Life has like good stuff and bad stuff and stuff that's easy and stuff that's hard and stuff that's like hard, but beautiful and stuff that's beautiful, but 
easy. And, you know, like there's all these different combinations. And I think we don't talk about that stuff enough. And so one of my, one of my passions and one of my commitments is to tell the truth about that stuff. And like, I have lived with severe depression, crippling anxiety, all kinds of, of mental health diagnoses, suicidal ideation for my entire life. And these are things that most people are afraid to talk about because they think it means there's something wrong with them. And I'm, I'm here to make it okay to talk about those things. And the work that I do is not the same thing as therapy. Like I am not a clinician by any means, but connecting with human beings from your own humanity is incredibly powerful. And I definitely have a lot of books in me, Zeke. One of them is for sure going to be a memoir about my mental health journey. Another one is for sure going to be a guide to giving zero fucks in your life. Another one is going to be um, I, the working title for it, you know, copyright Kristen King, everybody, is 100 Ways to Permanently Damage Your Children, A Guide to Zero Fucks Parenting, right? Because there's like so many places where like we're expected to do these things perfectly and it's supposed to look a certain way and like messy is how life works. And so I think it's really important for us to tell the truth about that and not have it be a problem when things are messy and to show that like things can be messy and you can have these, these different experiences and you can still have an amazing life that has intense joy in it. And that is really freaking awesome. And it's okay if you also have depression and anxiety and whatever else is going on, it doesn't mean that you don't still get to have a great life. Sure. Okay, cool. Finally, yes, awesome. we're done. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. This was super fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for when again. Thank you again for when to be a guest. My pleasure. That brings another episode of the Let's Scatter Podcast to a close. Again, you can find more information about Christian King by clicking the link in the description below. For next week, I have raised Arts to speak about his journey in art. Hope you're doing that day, and I hope to see you there.